I was deceived this morning. I woke up, wasn't coughing, thought all was well, didn't take the tiny pill, came here, didn't cough, until I started teaching Sunday school. Maybe I'm allergic to Sunday school. Maybe that's what it is. Fortunately not. Uh, this is Reformation Sunday, the day that we remember um, what God did in the life of the church in the 16th century through men like Martin Luther, Martin Bucer, Zwingli, John Calvin, and so many others uh, whose names we don't remember, um, but who gave probably even more than those men for the cause of the gospel. And this is not technically a uh, Reformation sermon, but it will be sprinkled with Reformation stuff. So, Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14, and if it sounds familiar, that's because it is. We did this last week. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanksgiving to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, Help me uh, to proclaim your testimony with simplicity this morning. Help me to know Christ and Him crucified, that your people might know Him completely, fully. We ask that you would demonstrate your power through the Spirit so that our faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When Martin Luther decided on uh, October 31st to go nailing those uh, 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church, he never could have imagined what would take place after that. In fact, God in His mercy often hides from us some of the consequences of our actions. Because even our good actions, because if we knew what would befall us on the basis of those good actions, we might be tempted not to do them. And Luther probably would have been tempted not to go further, not to put a nail through that sheet of paper. For little did he expect that some of the the seminary students would remove it from the wall, would bring it to a printing press, and publish it throughout the land. Little did he know that he would come under intense persecution and pressure from the powers of the Roman Catholic Church to recant of the doctrines that he began to express in his books. 
Little did he understand that he would soon be excommunicated from that church and a bounty would be placed upon his head and he would never feel safe. If I knew that was in store for me, I would think twice. The Reformation brought suffering, pain, persecution into his life. And Martin Luther needed power. Not the power we might think about, but the power that Paul writes about in this text that we have before us this morning. And so we see that Christ fills us with power to persevere and to be patient. Let us begin with the reality that Christ fills us with power because we are weak. Paul and Timothy pray continually that these Christians, that this church would be strengthened, empowered. This is part of the same sentence that we see beginning at, uh, in verse 9. And it comes all the way to the, to the end of the, the section I'm look, working with um, that, that deals with the power. Okay, so it's part of this one long sentence. Paul likes those really long sentences. The Bible translators, like Joan and Grace, they don't like those really long sentences, do they? And uh, <clears throat> neither do the translators of the Bibles we read. Because um, they want to try and communicate it so that it makes sense. They needed to be strengthened. Others were offering the Corinthians power as well. It was not just Paul in this letter. That was one of the problems. Where do you go to receive power? And the place where Paul is going to point them is very different than the other places that the false teachers who had been stirring up problems were pointing these people. They claimed that you needed something in addition to Jesus. As we get deeper into this book, we'll see some of the various things they tried to tack on to faith in Jesus Christ. But we don't have time for all of that now. But it is a situation similar to the state of the church at the time of the Reformation because it was faith in Jesus plus all this other stuff. And Luther said, no, it is faith in Jesus, not all that other stuff. This makes sense only if, in some sense, these Christians are weak. Right? You don't pray for powerful people to be empowered. You pray for weak people to be empowered. And so these people were weak even if perhaps they didn't recognize their weakness. It is the same for us. We too are weak, even if we don't necessarily recognize our weakness. But when it is is exposed, too often we, partially as a product of our culture, but more importantly, a product of our sinfulness, despise our weakness. 
We hate to feel powerless. We hate to feel vulnerable. I remember the, some of the worst years of my life, riding the bus in middle school. The first year wasn't too bad because we had some good ninth graders who were on the bus and essentially controlled things. And my best friend was my neighbor, Jason, who looked like he was uh, ready already in sixth grade to play, you know, on the offensive or defensive line, uh, you know, in college, not in high school. He was big. Sixth grade, uh, sorry, seventh grade was okay. It was when Jason moved away that summer that things, and the ninth graders moved on, that things were not so good for me and my friend Eric. Because we were smart. He's smarter than me. And we were small, thin, weak. And so it seemed like there were almost always, you know, it wouldn't be more than a week or two go by when there was someone who's threatening us and picking on us and shoving us. Oh, I wanted to be strong. I despised the fact that I was weak and cowardly, that I was afraid to just hit back and almost like Ralphie and, you know, and, uh, Christmas story. Ralphie wasn't tough, but he had the advantage of he, struck first, and it turned out good for him, so to speak. We're afraid of our weakness. We live in a world that despises weakness, and so we don't want to admit our weakness. But there's something amazing about the gospel. We see it in Romans 5. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And so we see that God does not despise our weakness. He despises our sin. But He does not despise our weakness. Christ died for us, for our sin, even while we were weak, even while we were unable to change our circumstances. Even while we were unable to defeat the ones who want to destroy us through sin, He died for us. This brings us to the reality of humility. It is humility that acknowledges weakness and receives grace. This is, in a sense, an illustration of what we find in Proverbs 1 Peter 15 and James chapter 4, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so to the ones who willingly acknowledge their weakness to Him, they receive grace. The ones who refuse to admit their weakness because of their pride are opposed by God. They do not receive grace. We see this illustrated in the life of King Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles, chapter 20. He was a pretty good king. And one day, unfortunately for him, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites decided to have a party and destroy Israel, or Judah, the southern kingdom, rather. And so they heard about these hordes of people coming, these armies that were greater than their own. 
And Jehoshaphat was afraid. And so he and, and the leaders of, Israel, of Judah gathered together. And what did they do? They didn't have a rally to make themselves brave and courageous. They didn't send money to Egypt or some other country to come and bail them out. They did what they should have been doing numerous times before, but didn't. They prayed. At the end of his prayer, <clears throat> he says this, O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What's amazing is that in this instance, God did not empower them with great bravery, with great courage, and with great skill in the battlefield. He says, show up and watch me. It's like the Red Sea all over again. They showed up and they sang praises and they watched as God defeated all of those people as he turned them against one another. And so the people of Judah, the armies of Judah, didn't open up their swords, but they got all the plunder. And so Luther, <clears throat> this is, I think, why Luther would spend <clears throat> four hours <clears throat> a day in prayer. He knew his weakness and he sought the Lord that he might be faithful to the task that he didn't really ask for, but was on him anyway. And <clears throat> so we, in prayer, confess our weakness and seek strength, also knowing that Christ prays for us that we might be strengthened. God is pleased. Okay, if we, if we, remember, this is part of that same sentence that talked about a life that pleases God. God is pleased when we confess our weakness. And He is pleased to give us strength. And so Christ does not despise our weakness, but He fills us with strength. And the strength that Christ fills us with is the power of God himself. The strength with which we are graciously strengthened is actually God's strength. I have too many strengths in there. My tongue is getting twisted. Note the word all that is found three times in this passage. We are strengthened not with just a tiny bit of power, but with all manner, kinds of power. But we have to step back from this text, look at the, the greater breadth of Scripture for a moment. And just as we did <coughs> last week with wisdom, we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, and we see that Paul there says that Christ is the power of God. In other words, we have that power by virtue of our union with Christ. If we have Christ by faith, He gives us His strength, His power. It is not like my friend Eric and I tried to do. We were pumping iron, trying to get strong. Muscles not growing. What's going on? You know, we made homemade nunchucks. It was a bad move. I, got a, I had a lot of bruises on the back of my head. You know, it wasn't that. It is Christ strengthening, apart from 
physical means, like pumping iron, all that kind of stuff. It is by virtue of our union with Christ, which comes only by faith in Christ. And this power is given through the Spirit. There's a reason we read from Ephesians 1 this morning. It's a parallel letter, and it's a parallel subject. It's a very similar prayer to the one that Paul is talking about here in Colossians 1. But he talks specifically about the power of God, the immeasurable power of God, meaning the idea of his infinite power. You can't, you know, we had a guy over to to, uh, develop a plan for our backyard finally, two and a half years. We're working towards getting the backyard something better than dirt. And he's measuring everything. He's got his little, you know, ruler out there. You can't measure it. Doesn't matter how big the tool you have, you cannot measure the strength of God. But the immeasurable greatness of his power, again, toward us who believe, the reality that we have to trust in him, according to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ, and here's the important thing I want us to grasp, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Okay, Isaiah 40, which we also read, talked about how how, uh, (coughs) God hung the stars in the sky. That's how powerful he is. But here... Paul talks about he's so powerful, he raised Christ from the dead. This is not a, you know, CPR, you know, resuscitation kind of thing. In the grave, three days, raised again. Never to die. That's power. Amazing power. Not only that, but it raised him to the heavenly places where he seated him at the right hand of God? That's power. Amazing power. And that is the power that he grants us from. He doesn't give us all of it, as we'll talk about in a little bit. It comes according to his, as Paul says here in Colossians, his glorious might. And so Paul uses a different word than the one that he's been using thus far. He uses kratos, might, which is not necessarily about ability, but has more to do with the idea of authority, with rule, with sovereignty. And so he utilizes his sovereignty, his rule as king at the right hand to give power or dynamus ability Dynamis, that word we get dynamite from. So he uses his right to rule to grant his people ability or power to do things. His rule is a glorious rule. We don't quite grasp that word sometimes. The Hebrew that uh, this is from, that word kabod, has the word has the idea of weightiness. Not a light subject, a weighty subject. The kind of weightiness that shakes the world. When you look at the prophets, both major and minor, what happens when God shows up? 
It's as if the world is about to fall apart because it talks about mountains shaking, the earth cracking and quaking. It's as if a giant rock was dropped upon the earth and everything is being shaken to its foundations because God is immense, glorious and immense. And his, and his rule, his reign is glorious and immense. And part of the way he displays that glory is by strengthening his people who are weak. And he does this because of what Christ has done to bring us to God. And so Christ is the sufficient and supreme power of God given to us in the gospel. But we're not done. Christ fills us with power to, pers- to persevere in hardship. Paul and Timothy give us two reasons or uses for this power or ability, and the first one is endurance. It is a term that refers to the ability to stand fast under great opposition or pressure. And so it has that military idea of the other army is coming against you and the men with you, and you're not bending or breaking. You're not being slaughtered, but you're withstanding the force of the enemy with your shield and your spear and your sword. You're standing tough. It also can have the idea of standing up under a great weight instead of cracking, collapsing. My friend and I, we pumped iron. We didn't press too much, you know, because we were kind of weak. We'd collapse under the heavier weights. So it's about power to endure. My friend and I were not given power to go a hulk. I wanted to go a hulk. I wished it suddenly, you know, I'm big, I'm strong, I'm able to clear out the whole room, or go Chuck Norris on people, you know? That's not what Jesus is interested in. He's not interested in making you like the Hulk or like Chuck Norris or, uh, you know, whatever person you might think is powerful and, and never feels afraid of other things. Okay? But we see from this text, illustrated in the life of Luther, that he was given power to stand firm even though Rome threatened him with death, even though some tried to act upon that. It's similar to, well, it's identical actually, to what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12. For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, plural, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is from that very same passage that Paul also says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power (coughs) is made perfect in weakness. And so it is not (coughs) that he is strong in himself, but he is strengthened by Christ. The, The power of God is perfected in Paul's own weakness. 
And so that's why Paul can, can boast or rejoice in, humbly rejoice in the weaknesses that he experiences because that is when he looks to God. Were he not weak, he wouldn't be looking to God. He would be standing on his own two feet. You and I, well, wait a minute. But it's not just persecution that Paul talks about. He talks about hardships as well, calamities as well. We are also given endurance to stand up under these hardships and afflictions. It wasn't just Martin Luther experiencing persecution, but it was also uh, Luther experiencing numerous health issues. He, he was plagued by depression. He was plagued by health issues, you know, his gastrointestinal stuff that we don't like to talk about. He had physical weaknesses that played an important role in his life. And God strengthened him to endure even in those things. You and I, we tend to want freedom from affliction. Okay? But God empowers us to stand up under affliction. This past week on on, on Facebook, I I put up an iconic photo of the Vietnam War. It's a tragic photo of people running away from the results of a napalm attack. And at the center of it is that little girl, Kim Falk, that um, was burned over most of her body. And she would have to endure numerous surgeries in time and rehabilitation and, you know, Life was never the same. Life was completely changed by this napalm attack. And she was always in pain, almost always in pain. And what happens when we're in pain is often we look for someone to blame. And her heart became hard with bitterness and hatred toward those who had done this to her and the circumstances around which this all took place. But then she from a human standpoint, made a mistake. She began to read the Bible. And God found her. And she realized the great power of God to remove the hardness of her heart, to remove the the hatred that had found a happy home there, and to be able to deal with the almost constant pain caused by that day. God did not take away the wounds, but He gave her the strength to live with the wounds and to live in such a way as that she was no longer a captive to hatred and bitterness. It's amazing. Napalm is powerful to destroy But the God who forgives is more powerful to restore. Paul talks about this in a sense in Romans 5. Again, not only do we rejoice in our sufferings, 
When's the last time you rejoiced in your sufferings? I'm so glad I had a lousy week. I'm so glad I had to have the, the, the brakes on my car repaired yet again. Or whatever it is that has sort of been a weight upon your soul this past month or two. I'm so great I have to go to Tucson to see the doctor all the time because my body is falling apart. Things like that. He he says we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. You see, endurance does not grow in a vacuum. It's not a pill you take. It's only produced when you actually suffer. I can't walk into a gym today and bench press 250 pounds. If you give me a couple years, maybe I'll be able to do it. Okay, But endurance is produced by suffering, by having to stand up under something. And he says that endurance produces character. We don't have character unless we endure under hardship. Man, that sounds tough. And for some of us, it's easier than others. Because some of us, when we became Christians, um, you know, we had more character than other people might have, you know, on the relative scale. And then there's some people kind of like me, you know, who had almost no character and have to have a lot of suffering so I can have a lot of endurance so that I can develop character. You don't want to go that route. Okay? Not a fun route. God's in the character-producing business, which means he's in the endurance-producing business, which means he's in the suffering-producing business. But character, according to Paul there, says he says it produces hope, bears the fruit of hope, because you recognize that you belong to Jesus and that he will sustain you. And he says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Not at the end of the process when you have character, but at the beginning of the process. And so the sanctifying, maturing work of God requires suffering so that we have endurance, so that we have character, so we will blossom with hope in the same way. And so God is also pleased when we, by the strength He gives us, persevere in hardship. He's pleased to give us that ability. And so Christ gives us sufficient power to stand up under the hardships we experience. Fourth thing. Last thing. Christ fills us with power to be patient with others. The second use for the power of Christ that Paul and Timothy lay out is patience. A virtue that we can't wait to get. It's about long-suffering 
It has that idea of being long-fused. has that prefix, macro. Macroeconomics and microeconomics. Micro is a business. Macro is a country. Large, big, humongous. Large, long-fused. In other words, not quickly angered by others or by circumstances. The church in Colossae, like every other church, was filled with sinners. And what do sinners do but sin? All kinds of sins would be committed. They would deceive one another. They would be selfish and arrogant towards one another. They would be greedy and any other number of a host of sins. And what would they do when that happened? Our flesh wants to attack or to run away. We will all feel those two temptations, flight or fright. Flight or fight, rather. We either pay them back or we withdraw from them. And it's not just church. It's home. It's work. It's everywhere that you are. There will be people sinning against you. And you're going to be tempted to run away and never go back or to punch that person square in the face. Pride which breeds self-righteousness, usually puts us on the attack. How dare they do this to me? That's pride. That's the voice of arrogant Satan in your head. How dare they do that to me? Pride demands better treatment from other people. But humility recognizes our own sinfulness too. It recognizes that God does not treat me as I deserve, but better. And so while this is loathsome in my sight and hard for me to bear, I deserve worse. Me. One of the interesting things that God did for Martin Luther in the midst of the Reformation was he gave him a wife. He was a monk, remember? He was single. And Martin, like all of us, needed to develop patience. And so I think it's rather interesting that he gave Martin a wife when he didn't want one. And a wife who was strong. I'm sure they had some fun moments with the battle of the wills. He would jokingly call her, my Katie, my little chain. 
as in ball and chain. <laughs> they both had to develop patience. She used to be a nun. You can always go to your own cell. Now they couldn't. They had to stay and develop patience with one another. They had to grow in humility toward one another. And so God is pleased with us when we're long-fused because He is long-fused. That's part of His character. He's so patient with the sins of His people. So patient with our sins. God is pleased when we do not seek payback. That's what grieves me about the situation in Nigeria. Is that those people who go by the name of Christ, and I can understand the enormous pain of knowing that <clears throat> some man drove an SUV into your church and tried to blow you all up and succeeded in killing people and harming people you know and you loved. But it is not humility that picks up the machete and goes looking for revenge. That is not the way of Christ. He calls us to be long-fused, to wait for Him to make it right. And so Christ, who is patient, when we humble ourselves and acknowledge our weakness, like, I want to kill that person. I'm feeling the temptation to strike back, either with my mouth or my fist or something worse. When we feel that weakness and we turn to Him in confession, He gives us the ability, the strength to be patient with our spouse or the other church member or the loudmouth at work, wherever it is, whomever it is. He grants us the ability to be patient with people and their failures because we recognize that others need to be patient with our failures. See, the proud guy never admits their own failures. They think everyone is a joy. To, to serve me, you know? Not realizing that you place burdens on other people with your sin. <clears throat> so, brothers and sisters, we lack power. And it's not necessarily the power that we think we should have. We want power, the power to be free from weakness, from suffering, from persecution, from the sins of others. Jesus fills us with power, His power, as we trust Him, as we humble ourselves and ask for it in prayer. But that power is rather to persevere, to be patient. It is a sufficient power, not an exceeding power. In other words, you still feel the need for power in the midst of it.
those uh, months that turned into years while I was waiting to come here. Times on the floor, begging. Because I felt powerless. I could not change a search committee's mind. I can't make somebody call me to serve them. I can't make someone else, uh, you know, in Winter Haven give me a job and all. I felt powerless because of all the circumstances that were there. And God did not remove all of them. It wasn't as if now suddenly I'm walking down the street with a snap in my step and a whistle in my mouth. But He gave me sufficient power to keep going to get off the floor and keep walking. And the next time I got knocked down, to get back up again and keep walking. That idea that when we are faint, when we are weak, He comes to strengthen us and carry us. He wants us to keep depending on Him so that we'll continue to grow and mature. Because if He gave you too much power, guess what? You wouldn't depend on Him. You'd stop trusting. And so bring your weakness to Him. Whatever weakness that might be. Whether it's a weakness to gambling. A weakness to not telling the truth. The fear of man. The fear of hardship. Whatever weaknesses you have. And He will give you grace sufficient to your need. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank You for the repeated testimony of Your Word. Because if it was not there, we would not believe it. We need to hear it. Just as Luther talked about having to pound the gospel in our heads because we are so quick, so prone to forget Christ crucified. So we are prone to forget that we are weak and that you strengthen us when we confess our weakness. Father, I think of us and I see that most of us are from the outward appearances well put together people. Most of us have good jobs, good families. And it can be easy for us to think that we're not weak. As we uh, mentioned from Jeremiah in Sunday school this morning, you are the one who searches our hearts and our minds. So I ask that you would show us what you see, that we might turn away from everything we rely on that isn't you, that we would forsake our false strength and embrace our weakness because it is only then that we will look to Christ 
who reigns and rules and is sufficient to give us strength. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.